CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Eroding beaches on Chicago's lakefront, warmer winters in the upper Midwest, microplastics in our water. What can any one person do? Our best hope for saving the planet and ourselves is through the power of we. Get to the ninth annual One Earth Film Festival, the Midwest's premier environmental film festival. It's March 6th through the 15th. March 6th through the 15th. When? March 6th through the 15th. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say the that. The 14th? No. Uh-uh. Pay attention. Take a piece of paper out and a pencil and okay. write it down. March 6th through the 15th. Okay? 15th. And there's 26 films, 48 events, and four counties. What is that again, D? 26. Films. 48. Events. Four. Counties. You can engage with filmmakers and experts. Venues include Tesla Gold Coast, Loyola University, Plant Chicago, Old St. Patrick's Church, Chicago Cultural Center, Lake Theater and Oak Park, and much more. Go to OneEarthFilmFest.org. What is that, D? OneEarthFilmFest.org. One more time. OneEarthFilmFest.org. <laughs> God, are you good. That's correct. All right, your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, March 5th is just moments away. But before we get into that, we got to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinist and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, are sponsors, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Unions, thanks so much. We couldn't do this show without you. Literally. And of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Ben Jarofsky, let's waste no time here, buddy. Let's give him that song of the day. You know, I was just thinking of the song, one of my favorite pop songs of the 1970s. I'm going to get everybody mad at me for singing it because nobody likes it. I may be the only person in America who loves this song. And I love this song, D. You ready? Yes. One, two, three. Oh, a countdown. <laughs> Apples, peaches, pumpkin pie. You were young and so was I. There you go. Okay. Apples, peaches, pumpkin pie. One of the greatest songs ever written. He loves apple, peaches, pumpkin pie. <laughs> the Vinjarovsky Show starts oh, now. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it is Thursday, March 5th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, progressive political talk with In These Times writer Miles Kampflassen, union man Ed Maher is back, and it's The Ben Jarofsky Show debut of Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this my number two has left the room. Oh, that Ooh, sounds gross. Damn, what could that be? <laughs> huh, let's see. Sounds like Wait, Thursday. I forgot I got to add Thursday to it. All right. Anyway, Elizabeth Warren bowed out. Yep, yep. Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, formally announced the end of her presidential campaign. Did she suspend it or end it? I don't know. I just... I saw, here's how I got the news. It was one of those uh, news flashes on my phone. There's a battle on my phone. It's like, who's going to get the news flash first? The New York Times or the Washington Post? And I'm like keeping track of, you know, he knows this about me. He's been, Dennis and I have been together like every freaking day for three years, ladies and gentlemen. So you learn a few things about someone over the course. Ben wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> if three years? Great three years. <laughs> Great three years, right? Just here's finished, the four. Just Here's the four, five. It's like Michael Jordan when they won the championship. The first when they won three, he goes three, four, five. Yeah, we are comparative to Michael Jordan. Michael Jeffrey <laughs> Jordan. So some, re so some respect, young man. Don't forget the Jeffrey part of the name. 
Anyway, what was I? Oh, uh, Elizabeth Warren. So I get this battle on my phone. Like, who's going to win it? New York Times, Washington Post. And I'm, you know, like obsessive me. I keep track of these things. Well, the Post won this one, but let's see who wins the next one. The New York Times was the first to get the all-important Elizabeth Warren uh, bowed out. It's not the only thing I saw, Dave, because I was preparing for today's show, right? I was doing pre-show prep, okay? Actually, what I was doing when the message came across at about 10 this morning was talking to my wife about hunters, okay? Which is like what I would really love to talk about right now, this show about Nazi hunters. But to quote Governor Rauner, focus, Benny, focus. Please. So I will focus on Elizabeth Warren. I want to thank Elizabeth Warren. The reason I said she's my number two is because for the last three months, I guess it's been, she's been number two right behind Bernie Sanders on my list, my countdown list on my top. I used to do five. Okay. I ask every guest to come in or do five. They duck, they dodge, they bob, you know, they bob, they weave, they would do anything to avoid getting Matt beyond the one person that they would endorse, right? Typical Dems, only one person, Ben, don't ask me for a second. Uh, but anyway, I whittled it down to three eventually. Uh, Andrew Yang dropped out. So Joey Biden moved up to third. So uh, now Elizabeth Warren's out. She was always uh, right behind Bernie. Uh, and uh, so uh, I want to give a shout out to Elizabeth Warren for one reason in particular. I mentioned it yesterday, but I think it's really important uh, that we repeat this, that I repeat this, and that is this. She is the person perhaps most responsible for Michael Bloomberg leaving the race. She took Bloomberg down, not once, but twice in the presidential debates. She stripped away any credibility that Bloomberg had as a candidate in the Democratic primary. She let it be known that Michael Bloomberg was essentially, he was just like this really arrogant rich guy who was trying to buy the Democratic Party. And the Democratic Party at the time was like, yeah, we'll take your money. By the way, I'll still take your money, Bloomberg, but I'm just saying I wasn't going to vote for you uh, for president of the United States. So she did a great job in those two debates. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I've, I hadn't seen anything like it, D, since 1965 when Muhammad Ali knocked out Sonny Liston. You remember this one? You oh, were, yeah. You were... I was there. Negative 18 years old and Lewiston made boom, boom, boom. Howard Cosell, a left, a right, Liston is down. <laughs> Millennials, I swear <laughs> we're going to talk about stuff going on in 2020. I promise you. Muhammad Ali. <laughs> no, I love it when uh, Ali knocked out uh, George Foreman te not 10 years after that fight. A left, a right, Foreman is down. Love Howard Cosell. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. So she was like, uh, I think I, last time I was talking about I, I compared her to smoking Joe Frazier. But now I'm giving Muhammad Ali some love, two of my favorite boxers of all time. Anyway, I want to say this to Joe Biden who is now uh, the, I guess he's the front runner. I take guess out of that. He is the front runner. I think the the odds in Vegas are going his way. If you wanna, if you just wanted to make money on this, you would, should put your money down on Joey B. He's probably going to be the Democratic nominee. Just saying, D. We'll see what our 130 guest, Miles Camp Lassen, has to say about all this. We will see. We'll, we'll see if he's putting money down in Vegas. Okay, there's two questions, all right? Okay. Uh, so, But anyway, uh, he owes, Joe Biden owes so much uh, to Elizabeth. Elizabeth Warren, because again, when she took down Michael Bloomberg, that left Biden as the consensus candidate for the, all the moderates to rally around. And, uh, you know, so Joe, do her something, do her the right thing, buy her dinner. I don't know, do something nice for her. Uh, because if it wasn't for Elizabeth Warren, you would be struggling with Michael Bloomberg at the moment. And Michael, and now it, it's so ironic. Thanks to Elizabeth Warren, Michael Bloomberg's out of the race and he's ready to kick in like a hundred million, I think. You, but you notice how it's dropped? The amount of money that he's gonna pay is dropped. I'll spend anything to get rid of Trump. Well, I'll spend more if I'm the guy who's gonna replace Trump. Just spend the money. Whatever you're gonna spend on yourself, spend it. If, if defeating Trump was the goal, I guess it's easy for me to tell Michael Bloomberg to spend the money, huh, D? It's not my money. Anyway, uh, so Joe Biden, I think you owe Elizabeth Warren some thanks. It's interesting how my friends of the Bernie Sanders persuasion are gonna to react to this, D, because you would think that Elizabeth Warren would immediately endorse Bernie Sanders because uh, it's pretty obvious that ideologically uh, he is the closest to her in terms of their worldview on just about everything. He's much more, she's much more of a Bernie 
Democrat than she is a Biden Democrat. But uh, my understanding is that she has not endorsed anyone at the moment, and she's just sort of sitting back, uh, which will lead to perhaps two different strategies uh, employed by Bernie Sanders supporters to win her over. One, there will be people who will be really nice and they'll just say, you know, I've always liked Elizabeth Warren. What a great champion she has been for financial reform. I really love how she stood up uh, for working people with the bankruptcy laws in the in the mid uh, in the mid O's, the early O's, and uh, how she stood up to the great financial institutions, and how she stood up to all those Republicans uh, in Senate confirmation hearings, and just what a champion of progressive politics uh, she is. You know, try to butter her up that strategy and then there will be the supporters of the bernie persuasion who will just do it their typical way they'll try to bludgeon her into doing you better support her i don't know some of these i, I love i'm bernie's still number one day but I, some of the tactics of his supporters not quite understanding it how you think you could win people over by insulting them yelling at them anyway i get frustrated too I mean, so I can kind of relate. I get, I've been frustrated with the Chicago electorate for 40 years. So, well, since Harold died. So I can understand, I suppose, but still not the most convincing way to, uh, to win uh, people over. Anyway, here we are, D. We've got two old white guys uh, running for the Democratic nomination. And I have to say this. They're so old, they make me look young. Whoa, that's old. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet, you know, they're so old, neither of them have ever heard of Apple's Peaches Pumpkin Pie. Oh, yeah, Because right. they weren't even listening to, you know, my cutoff is 79. Biden, I haven't heard a new song since 1964. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I mean, Bernie, uh, I love folk music. <laughs> I love the chain smokers. <laughs> I just, I just... Can I just tell the chain smoker story? Yeah, sure. Uh, chain smoker story goes back to a, uh, a debate I had with uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa back in the old show before I was fired. Uh, and uh, I was telling a tale about how millennials, I'll just abbreviate it, millennials like the chain smokers more than Stevie Wonder, and I could not understand that. I'd never even heard of them uh, until I heard this debate. And then Carlos, trying to be the bridge between one generation and the next generation, said, Ben, you have to, you can't sound like an old fogey. You have to appreciate new groups. I think Carlos kind of regrets that position because, come on, Carlos, Stevie Wonder, chain smokers, not even close. Anyway, we got a great show today. Miles Conflas will be in here every Thursday, comes in from In These Times. He's big time Bernie supporter. He just wrote uh, an article in In These Times. I read it, uh, talking about how the establishment is coming around Joe Biden to oust Bernie. Get his views on Super Tuesday and uh, the road ahead. He told, I just was on the phone with him. He says there's still a path to victory for Bernie Sanders. There we go. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. <laughs> he said there's still a path to victory for Bernie Sanders, and I'm really curious to hear what that path is and where it leads. It's a windy path. <laughs> Probably winds through this room. <laughs> Collect these two votes. I'm voting for Bernie, folks. I'm, I'm still voting for him. I voted for him last time. I'll tell you why. I believe I mean, I'm, it's going to be a disagreement between Miles and me, perhaps. I, I think Joe Biden will be the nominee. Okay, just putting that out there. But Bernie Sanders is the only, what, hope we have of, like, pushing Joey a little left. So he just doesn't run to the right. You know, this notion that somehow or other the Democrats are going to win back the White House, win the House, win the Senate by being, like, moderate Republicans. I, I've never seen that happen in my lifetime. So uh, I think they always need a little encouragement from the left to remind them what Democrats are supposed to be all about. So I'm all for Bernie. I'm going to vote for Bernie. Yep, you heard her here. So uh, interesting to hear what Miles has to say. Ed Maher will be here. Oh, man, I can't wait to talk to Union Man Ed Maher. He's talking about the Constitutional Amendment, protecting collective bargaining rights and uh, the NLRB and uh, get in a little presidential uh, discussion. And then Kim Fox will be here. Yes, State's Attorney Kim Fox will be. I've never met Kim Fox, so it'll be interesting. Really? Yeah, You've never met Kim Fox? Never met her. Wow. Never yeah. talked to her on the phone? Never talked to her on the phone. Really? Yeah. Well, this Never. will be interesting. Yeah, be, hi, how you doing? <laughs> uh, welcome to Lefty Land. That's what I do. You know, Kid Fox is used to going into like studios where there, there's people from center right. Yeah, and people like people uh, not wearing hats. <laughs> yeah. 
not voting for Bernie. Oh, really? Like if if they have an ideology, they're so happy that I'm so relieved that Joe Biden is. Now she's going to lefty land. It's Bernie all the time. We lefty land where people love apples, peaches, pumpkin pie. She's become a symbol, Kim Fox. I'm going to ask her about this. She's become a symbol in many ways uh, to her supporters. She's a symbol of criminal justice reform, much needed, long overdue. Uh, and uh, to people of the Donald Trump, uh, fraternal order of police uh, persuasion, she's become a symbol of what? Uh, mushy liberals who are too easy on criminals, which is funny. I'm going to point this out to Kim Fox. It's really funny. I got to give Donald John Trump credit on this front. He's got it two ways. On one hand, he's he's uh, presenting himself as a champion of criminal justice reform. He let Rob Blagojevich out of prison. And, you know, he's telling black voters, you should vote for me because I'm for criminal justice reform. And on the other hand, uh, he's, you know, he's bashing Kim Fox. She's too soft on crime. She's got to lock them all up. That's how you deal with criminals. I'm, 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 I'm having a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> having a hard time it's like counter messages anyway welcome kim fox to lefty land so plenty of political talk ahead of us but before we do that the young man from alton the man they call the doctor with the news hello i'm dennis hey before we find out what's happening in chicago and or illinois this afternoon our good friend dragon slayer 19 weighed in on the live stream chat and he's gotta know ben jarofsky uh-huh. who are your top three candidates right now? <laughs> well, there's, we're down to three, aren't we? Yeah. So it's really, I mean, it's uh, a great question. We're down to he three. Says no ducking and dodging. <laughs> Need to hear that top 10 or top three. Bernie one, Joey B two, Tulsi Gabbard three. I mean, there's only three. Am I f- forgetting someone? They're all gone. Where have the candidates gone? Long time. Oh, listeners, you're so lucky. Two songs of the day in one show. And the second song, no one has ever heard of. No one. Absolutely no one. They're like, where did he get? You know who's heard that song? Bernie Sanders. He oh, man, I love that song. And I love all (laughs) apples, peaches, pumpkins, and pies. Uh, I don't know why people don't like Bernie Sanders. This is something else, D. I've always liked Bernie. You know? What can I say? People don't like him. Anyway, those are my top three because there's only three. There you go, Dragon Slayer. Shout out to Frank. He weighed in as well. He said uh, Bernie and Biden are only separated by 65 delegates. Wow. So uh, Biden has 65 more. Okay. You're right, Frank. Once again, I'm corrected by Frank, and he's absolutely correct. Uh, By the way, what was the one yesterday that he was right? I didn't write it down. Where I said that there are no Republican yeah, yeah. incumbents. and he proved you wrong. He, there's a surprise, Frank, proving <laughs> me wrong. It's been happening for three years. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's still close. But my sense of it, just looking at the primaries that are ahead, that uh, Joe Biden has a clear path to victory, particularly because black vote is going his way. I've said this once, I've said this twice, I've said this many, many, many times. You cannot win the Democratic nomination without winning over the black vote. And that's been true since I don't know since I was a kid so anyway so that that's why Frank I think uh that Bernie I mean that Joe Biden has a clearer path to victory all right local news today our Illinois governor J.B. Pritzker is at the Capitol building in Springfield he joined state health officials to give a public update on the coronavirus and then a 1 p.m update to members of the state legislature hey he may be doing that right now as we speak Ben mm-hmm. I can just hear him I'm not a perfect person. (laughs) Moving on, we got a 2020 Illinois primary election candidate update. Hey, remember Jeannie Ives? Yeah, 2018's very much right-wing gubernatorial candidate is now an Illinois congressional candidate. She's running in the 6th District. She just released her first campaign ad, and we're going to play it. But, Ben, before we do that, Mm -hmm. what do you say we reminisce about the AM radio days, huh? (laughs) What was the name of that station? WC you later? No, it was WCPT 820. Oh, they fired I, you. I thought it was W. Get out of here. No, no, WCPT 820. I thought it was W. You're too liberal. <laughs> <laughs> but let's reminisce uh, back on the AM radio days. Give everyone uh, the rundown on Jeannie Ives. Jeannie Ives. Oh, my goodness. Yes, we did talk a lot about Jeannie Ives. There was one point when I was, how do I put this? Like, Jeannie Ives was to me what Bernie Sanders is to Donald Trump. Whoa, I just thought that. That just popped into my head. 
Let's see if I can follow up and substantiate that. It's scary when you just say something, boom, comes to your mind. But Genie Eyes was a useful tool for Democrats like me who wanted Bruce Rauner on. Now, I know a lot of you can't even remember the Bruce Rauner days, but it was an existential threat to everything that Democrats supposedly believe in, starting with collective bargaining rights. I mean, that was at the top of the list. Bruce Rauner's purpose as governor of Illinois was to destroy the union movement in Illinois and uh, to use the destruction of the union movement as a way to undercut Democrats because that connection between unions and Democrats is what gives Democrats, I don't know, I, I wouldn't even call it an advantage. It's It sort of balance out the huge corporate support that the Republican uh, Party gets. So uh, it was very imperative for Bruce Rauner to advance his corporate agenda and the, advance his view of where the Republican Party should be by destroying unions. You destroy unions, more power and money for bosses, more power and money for Republicans, less power for Democrats, and then Democrats will have to go right. It's a typical old thing. They'll move right uh, to try to stay at pace with a, a forever uh, a rightward uh, drift of politics in the country. So that was Bruce Rauner's uh, agenda. Jeannie Ives uh, rebelled against him and ran at him from the right uh, on the issue of abortion. And so as a result, Bruce Rauner, instead of having, you know, just cruising to the nomination as the party's, uh, the Republican Party's gubernatorial candidate, uh, had to stave off Jeannie Ives. And she gave him a hard fight. Right? She kept, boom, boom, because Bruce Rauner totally flipped on abortion rights. First he was for it, then he was against it, then he was for it. She was just pounding him on it. Remember that debate at the Chicago Tribune? Editorial oh, yeah. board. Listen, douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically the essence of it. And so there I was. Yeah, give him hell, Genie. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Much like Donald Trump is doing now. Bernie supporters out there, I know you're too smart to fall for it. Some of you are a little smarter than others, but Donnie Trump is trolling. He's acting like he cares about you. He doesn't care about you. If Bernie were the nominee, I'm going to say this to Miles when he's here. If Bernie was the nominee, he would be ripping Bernie. He'd be having pictures of Bernie without a shirt on, honeymooning in the Soviet Union. I don't know. I you know, I always get mixed up. Was it in the Soviet Union or Cuba where he didn't have the shirt? All I know, I've heard this is picture of Bernie without a shirt on, and it's really bad, and it's going to turn swing voters against him, and you know Donald John Trump will be using it as he calls him a communist. But right now, he loves him. I love Bernie. I love... They're rigging the election against Bernie. Boy, our show, we go from Genie <laughs> Ives to Bernie without a shirt on. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to say how, you know, it's like disingenuous. So was I disingenuous? And I said, go, Genie, go. Yes, I was disingenuous. Absolutely. <laughs> no Republican should have believed me. Is Donald Trump disingenuous when he says, go, Bernie? Go, yes. But unfortunately, so many my, my Bernie supporters, notice I didn't say that, BB. Nice. So much Bernie supporters like, yeah, Trump's got a point, man. So, you know, <laughs> that's my... Bernie supporter imitation. So uh, anyway, so Jeannie Ives served that purpose, and she was so insanely right-wing um, <laughs> that uh, even the Republican Party rejected her, and they go, well, we're going to go with the guy with the money. In, hey, in the end, they threw their principles out the window. Hey, wait, did you say Bruce Rauner? Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! All right. It's you like know. a distant memory. Anyway, so she ran. She lost, uh, and she was a state rep. And she gave up her seat to run for governor, and now she's running for Congress. And you know, the woman gave us so much material back in 2018 that I feel, Ben, it's only fair to play her ad at least once okay. and comment Let's on go. it, okay? Let's go. So here's I've not heard this. No pre-show prep on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Quit admitting that. Here's the latest <laughs> ad from the 6th Congressional <laughs> District candidate, Jeannie Ives. And by the way... Still very much right wing. Senator Ted Cruz, Trump's economic advisor, Stephen Moore, Congressman Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, and the House Freedom Fund are all in for Jeannie Ives. Ives took on the Springfield establishment. Our economy is too weak for a tax hike, and you know it. You know we need jobs, you complain about it all the time, and you won't fix our job creation problems. Now Jeannie Ives will stand up for you in Congress. Republicans are uniting. They're all in for Jeannie Ives. I'm Jeannie Ives, and I approve this message. Okay. Uh, I'm Jeannie Ives. MAGA. <laughs> for life. All right. Let's just... Uh, let's just try to uh, view this as objectively as we can. The 6th Congressional District is a suburban district that's in DuPage. It's, it's a long, comp 
complicated district. I think it goes in and out of three separate counties, DuPage, Cook Lake. I can't, I don't have an image of it in my mind, but it's suburbs, okay? So if you don't live in Chicago, just think suburbs. Uh, and in the old days, it was a, uh, a Republican district. Uh, it, it's gotten more liberal. It's moved more to the Democratic side uh, over the last 10 years through demographic changes. The de- Democrat, uh, Democratic Party is growing stronger in that area, doing more recruiting, uh, doing a better job of outreach. So the Democrats were at that point where I believe Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump in two. 2016. So it was just a matter of time before the Democrats took control of Congress. They did in uh, the 2018 election uh, by running a person who was very much sort of a centrist, Sean Kasten, uh, and issues climate change, uh, abortion rights, and um, opposition to Donald John Trump and just the way he goes about his presidency, vilifying anybody who dares to disagree with him, uh, being such a lousy president. It's just like the 101 of being president, like dealing with the coronavirus by by yelling at Democrats, <laughs> blaming it on the news media. So in general, I don't know why Jeannie Ives thinks that she can defeat a moderate Democrat in a district that already went for Hillary Clinton by running even more to the right than the last Republican congressman whose name has escaped me. I used to know these things, D. Oh, Oh, my God. Could it be a sign of advancing senility? (laughs) Could it be a sign that I've spent too much time thinking about apples, peaches, pumpkin pie? You've lost it. Show's canceled. (laughs) We're done. Can you remember his name? No. Frank, who did cast and beat? I know. I just can't. I can see his face. Anyway, he never came to uh, hearings. That was the big thing. He would just <laughs> run away. Like, people would have town hall meetings. He would run the other way. Anyway, so um, I, I, I dealt with this. Actually, this is my current column in The Reader. I dealt with this. This, this. I call it the horror show that the moderate Democrats have been using to try to scare voters away from voting for Bernie by saying there will be an absolute collapse, that if Bernie's at the top of the ticket, uh, all the candidates who won in 2018 will lose. Yes. P- Peter Roscoe. There we go. How could I? Did Frank say that? I found it on oh, Google. Oh. Whoa! Look at Look me. At you. Yeah. Uh, what? What would? Uh, what would my man Joe Rogan say? Pull that up. Pull that up, Jamie. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Love Joe Rogan. Anyway, uh, so I just don't understand why. <laughs> so the so Democrats, with you know, they're trying to scare people away from voting for Bernie, would say that uh, Sean Castle would lose to Jeannie Ives, and I just, of course, don't see it happening. Like, I mean, you're asking people who basically think that climate change is an existential crisis, think it's really important to have some kind of environmental controls and regulations uh, to replace a person, a scientist who believes in that with a person who doesn't believe in that. So I, I just think you're asking too much of voters. You get what I'm saying? Like their fear of Bernie is not so strong that they would embrace Genie Ives. It's such a bizarre argument that is being made. Um, I'm surprised that people are falling for it, but I shouldn't be surprised. So anyway, uh, it's a long shot, to put it mildly, if Jeannie, for Jeannie Ives to think she could be elected congresswoman. But then again, I think I bet against Donald Trump in 2016, so ultimately, what do I know? All right, and finally, every single Chicago political geek has been on pins and needles waiting for this. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, which presidential candidate will you be endorsing? <laughs> It was reported about a month or two ago that Mayor Lightfoot was undecided. You know, kind of like our Illinois governor. Her response was, I'm for the Democrat. (laughs) But Ben, if you recall, uh, the mayor wasn't too happy with our candidates of the progressive persuasion, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, was she? Nope. Not negatory. Uh -uh. She wasn't that that. happy with Joey B either, if you recall. Oh, well, walk us through it. So the situation was this. Uh, maybe people probably put this out of their mind. And for our people who listen who are not from Chicago, we had a teacher strike. Uh, Miles Conflassen has entered the room. Miles Conflassen has entered the room. We had a teacher strike. When was the teacher strike, D? November. Very good. Thank you for telling me that. Uh, and then in that teacher strike. October. It was October, November. Yeah, we yeah. talked about it a lot on the Ben Jarofsky show. A lot. And uh, I was 100% for the teachers, just saying. Anyway, uh, in that strike, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, I believe they came to Chicago to rally with the teachers. I believe Joey Biden made a call to the teachers on their behalf. Don't quote me on that. Uh, Frank, look it up. Uh, and But I 
Lori Lightfoot was upset because neither Sanders or Warren reached out to her. And I don't think Joe Biden did either on the teacher strike. They were, they stood with the teachers. And my response was, well, I can understand on a personal level uh, that you might be upset about that. I probably, we're all human. So we would probably have feelings, but I would leave those feelings as alone as much as possible. Cause the reality is there's like 25,000 teachers and one Lori Lightfoot, 25,000 votes, one vote. Hmm, let me put that on a balance scale. So, I would think that most Democrats would stand with the teachers. In fact, in general, I would think that the Democrats would be with striking workers. And just in general, that's kind of what Democrats are supposed to do. They stand up for union rights, collective bargaining rights. They're trying to use their power to get working people more money, middle-class people, their status solidified as middle-class people. So I was found it, you know, I was like, come on, Lori. Give, give give Bernie and Elizabeth Warren some slack on this thing. And then it looked as though the mayor was feeling the Berg, B-E-R-G, yeah. and looking to possibly endorse Michael Bloomberg. Well, the following comes from Crane Chicago Business Magazine, and Greg Hines got the scoop. Damn it, we never get the scoop, B. Wait, Greg Hines, poker player Greg Hines? Okay, now that I, Greg I got Hines? an interview <laughs> set up here for Greg Hines, so please don't <laughs> ruin it. You're talking Greg, uh, you got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him, Greg Hines? That yes, Greg Hines? that Greg Hines. Okay, just one I used to play poker with Greg Hines. Before. He's pretty good, right? Uh, he's a great reporter. Great reporter. Great All reporter. right, there we go. Uh, but poker? Whew, oh, God, come on. I took his money. Every, it was like, Greg, just give me the money. Let's not even have the game. Just give me the money. Are you, you want to go through the ritual of playing the cards? Just give me the money. Wait, he, uh, no, I'm going to beat you this time. Oh, okay. I just got an email. Hold on, let me check. <laughs> Greg Hines canceled. <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> All right, well, we got the scoop. He's of a great reporter, though. Great reporter. That's not helping us. All right. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot plans to make an announcement in the next day or so, and all those sources close to her aren't officially confirming anything. All indications are that she will back... Former Vice President Joe Biden. Whoa, what a surprise. <laughs> I know she's a big fan of Bernie's, uh, Lori Lightfoot. Lori Lightfoot is a progressive uh, in the sort of Chicago definition of progressive, which is a very loose definition of progressive. Pretty much anybody who is to the left of Jeannie Ives is a progressive in the city of Chicago. So... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, whatever. I'm not surprised that Lori Lightfoot would endorse Joey Biden. Everybody in who is anywhere connected to the establishment of the Democratic Party, who is uh, a moderate, a centrist, we all know the type. They're all converging around uh, Joey B. He is their nominee. They want him. And it's interesting. We'll have a nice discussion with Miles on this because I think the path to victory is stronger and more obvious for Joe Biden. But maybe Miles can convince me of otherwise. All right. It says here that uh, Lori Lightfoot and Biden connected by phone. Oh, can you imagine how that phone call went? Hello? Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I'll support you. Whatever. <laughs> make sure that the kids hear words. <laughs> so there you are. <laughs> That's what's going on locally. Oh, my God. Of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. Like, if another Genie Ives ad comes through the wire, we'll try to play it. Uh, and uh, don't go anywhere because coming up, our good friend Miles Camp Lassen has returned for another week, and we're going to talk all things progressive politics and, uh, well, the primary elections. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun Times. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago culture, food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, D. Yeah? Did I tell you that the Ben Jarofsky Show is sponsored by Rattleback Records? No. Well, it is. Rattleback Records at 5405 North Clark Street is Andersonville's full-service record store. Hey, D. Did I tell you it was voted one of Chicago's best record stores in the 2019 Chicago Reader Poll? No. Oh. Well, it was. Wow. Rattleback Records, 5405 North Clark Street. Used and new LPs and 45s. They got CDs, DVDs, books, gifts, and much more. 
For more information, contact them at rattlebackrecords.com. That's R-A-T-T-L-E-B-A-C-K records.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Ben likes this song. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. You know, in some way, we've been liberated with that cease and desist letter. Miles, you were here last week when we got the cease and desist yeah, letter. Yeah, birthday show. It was, it was the birthday show. I know. What a but, way to celebrate happy birthday. Happy birthday. Don't use my music. <laughs> uh, we're actually not even certain what they were asking us to, to cease and desist. By the way, this music from the one and only. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Yeah, Jeff Manuel oh, nice. was the only one and only. It's and, uh, yeah, I like it. It's got that little. Anyway, so our listeners have been sending us some really great music. So I think we're actually we we're better off. Yeah, blessing in disguise. And Miles promises to send us a tape yep. from his uh, uh, rock and roll. You still in a band? Yeah, the Crows. We'll we'll, we'll we got to get some professional recordings done, but we'll we'll send it over. Covers or we original. started out as uh, as some uh, may know. We started out as a Cheryl, Cheryl Crow, Crow counting Crows cover band. So How we kind of did. That? He said it on his show last week. <laughs> Good God! Hey man, come on! But we've uh, we've expanded our repertoire. We're doing uh, you know some original music, a lot of different influences. So you know we'll. Uh, what's what's my favorite Cheryl Crow song? Can you name one? She's got some great ones. Um, <laughs> Does she? Wait, Cheryl Crow I'm mixing her up with Ricky Lee Jones. Uh, what's just the one that's saying Chuck is in love? Uh, that's not Cheryl Crow, as okay. far as I know. Earlier, you were singing Where Have All the Something Gone. I thought you were doing Paula Cole, but then instead, you, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone, yeah, but yeah. instead, you were, you went in a different direction. No, it's, it's, there's a song, uh, if I may. Uh, Bernie, the real Bernie Sanders would be the only person who knows this song because it was a, a staple. As opposed to the fake Bernie Sanders. Yeah, real. Like, <laughs> Donald Trump, Donald Trump had the real Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Have All the Flowers Gone. Anyway, okay. it was a folk song back in the day, Pete Seeger. Well, the, the all-time, you know, the, the Sheryl Crow that people really love is If It Makes You Happy. That's yeah, kind of yeah, her yeah. real banger, but also strong enough to be my man. I mean, God, I don't know either ones. There's my favorite some... mistake, uh, Every Day is a Winding Road. I've heard that song. Yeah, but Every you... day is a oh. winding road. <laughs> there you go. Damn, we got to get a little karaoke <laughs> podcast going for you, buddy. But there's another one that's even bigger than that. For 10 trivia points, who is Sheryl Crow in a relationship with? Uh, uh, well, she was in Lance what Armstrong. Yeah, right? So they long ago, up. they broke up like years ago. Oh, yeah. excuse me, <laughs> Mr. People Magazine over there. <laughs> it was a while ago. That was a long time ago. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's get down to serious stuff. Enough chit-chat about Cheryl Crow and Lance Armstrong. Okay. Um, so, Miles, you wrote a uh, an essay. Or I called it a column. I, or it could be an article, whatever you want to call it. Uh, about that there's still hope for Bernie. Just don't call it a post. That's the thing that I think writers hate the most, is when you just refer to something as a post, you know? Yeah, no, that sucks. Yeah. It was posted, it's but it's not a post, because mm. post sort of <clears throat> makes it seem like... Uh, what like was a it rant that? you've thrown online. Uh, or, or what Elizabeth Warren said about uh, Pete Buttigieg... No, Amy Klobuchar's health care plan. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so why don't we get into the trends to start with that since it was just popped in my sure. mind elizabeth warren dropped out uh your thoughts on why her campaign didn't take off and the uh, contribution she made to this uh primary season well i think it's an incredible you know i mean one of the things that uh, i think was missed there was so much focus on elizabeth warren as kind of the candidate with the plans and that kind of became her moniker and i think it was really helpful early on but it really did influence, you know, the whole terms of the debate. I mean, I think Bernie Sanders did a, you know, incredible uh, job in over the past four years in terms of kind of realigning the Democratic Party and what the, you know, lodestars were for what people w- wanted in terms of $15 minimum wage, universal health care, all these different issues. But what Elizabeth Warren was able to do was put out these pl- the, these plans, you know, months before Sanders did. Um, you know, you can argue the, uh, you know, which one which ones were ultimately better, but say universal childcare. I mean, Elizabeth Warren was really ahead of the game on that issue and I think set the standard for how candidates across the board have fallen in line. And I think, you know, it's not just a matter of giving her credit for running. You know, I've said this many times before on the show that I think she did run a great and has run a great campaign, but also just, you know, her presence in the race, I think, was a really important thing for American politics to show that you can, you know, have multiple progressives in a race at the same time that are both, you know, building 
building up support that are taking on as you know as you gave her credit for for taking down some of the centrists you know and provide playing that role um but i mean you know it's it's things could have changed very differently i mean the, one of the reasons i we can get into this one of the reasons i think of course there's still it's an open race and bernie sanders is just as much likelihood of uh, being the nominee as Joe Biden is because, you know, a couple months ago, Elizabeth Warren was considered the front runner in many ways. You know, that's what people were, you know, lauding her as before the votes were cast in Iowa. People were, you know, giving, saying she's, you know, ahead of Bernie when she had this big rally in uh, Washington Square Park and was getting all these, you know, endorsements, the Castro endorsement. Oh, so I think that this was, you know, the, the dynamics of the race could have changed very differently. And Elizabeth Warren could have you know, been the standard bearer for the progressive movement in terms of, you know, the presidential campaign. Things didn't work out that way, but I don't think that takes away from the fact that she, you know, and her supporters have had, you know, uh, played a really instrumental role in moving this race to the left. Well, you know, it. do you think it was a matter that there was just, there's just not enough progressive voters out there uh, to sustain two progressive campaigns? I mean, that's possible. I mean, I I think that the bigger issue is dealing with all of the structural um, issues that keep progressives from being able to reach voters. Um, most people's interaction with politics is pretty limited, understandably, because they're, you know, living their lives. They have responsibilities. They're not, you know, like the folks that come into this room who spend, you know, an inordinate amount of time thinking about and worrying about and writing about politics. They're just, you know, living their lives. And so their interaction is often filtered through uh, the mainstream media, how we all, you know, get our information. And if you're touchstone and, you know, turning towards, you know, for about lack of a better word, elites that are in politics, you know, giving cues, giving signals to how to vote. And throughout this campaign, we've just seen time and time again, the, the type of people that you would look to to provide that are either staying out, you know, your Barack Obama or Nancy Pelosi, people like that, or the people that are, you know, filling that void. Uh, media pundits, what have you, are generally on the side of, you know, these establishment candidates. And that had been a wide array of them. Now they have kind of centralized into this centrist Voltron, you know, that is overtaking uh, <laughs> the progressives. <laughs> but uh, I think that that was a huge challenge. And it's been for both Sanders and Warren. I think Sanders was able to have this more core dedicated group of supporters, partially because, you know, he's been running on the same things for his decades in politics, but also he built up um, a base of support through his 2016 campaign that I think has really helped him. All right. Now, on a Super Tuesday, uh, we were at the, Dennis and I were at Promontory. Uh, we were having a great political discussion with some really smart people. And I w wasn't paying attention to the state-by-state -state breakdown because I was so uh, focused on the discussion we were having. And I think that helped me. I'm a Bernie supporter. Everybody knows that he was, he's been my number one yeah. forever. But uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. When, when I saw Biden's win 10 states to Bernie's four, I walked away disappointed. And uh, I was dealing with the reality in my mind that uh, Bernie was not going to be the candidate. Uh, so that was my takeaway from Super Tuesday. What was, where were you and what was your takeaway from Super Tuesday? Well, I was at a bar that I know we uh, both hold dear, the uh, the old Tim Tuttons hideout. Timmy T. Uh, uh, we had a little watch party there. Mm -hmm. um, so I was with good friends at least uh, and, you know, tall drinks. So that was helpful. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, we should be sober. It was not the um, result that I think progressives, certainly supporters of Bernie Sanders, expected or wanted out of that night. And it does make the path going forward much more difficult, um, especially because, you know, late breaking voters really did break for Biden and not for Bernie. I think that, you know, in terms of why that happened, I think the centrist consolidation played an incredible role. I mean, if you look at the uh, what happened on the, the day after uh, those endorsements on Tuesday morning, which is the day people were going to go to the polls, full page spreads and, you know, the Los Angeles Times and the Washington Post and the Dallas Morning News and Texas, you know, a huge uh, paper all, you know, lauding this, uh, you know, momentum behind Joe Biden because of all of the centrist support. So clearly this was orchestrated, you know, it was a very choreographed thing. Um, and it was in order to achieve this result to say, look, we know after South Carolina, Biden is the only real viable person that can, you know, play this role in the campaign. 
and they put their chips behind him and it really did pay off and that didn't happen and I mean Bernie didn't have anything similar going on for his campaign so in terms of the people that decided in those days leading up to the race the couple days right after South Carolina right after these endorsements they understandably went with Biden because they thought you know we want to beat Trump it looks like everybody's getting behind Biden to beat Trump as I mentioned you know people get their information from uh, you know cues from these people in positions of power you have your Jim Clyburn all these people that are well respected getting behind Biden so it's understandable you know that that uh, that it turned out that way that said I mean there's still 30 states that are left to vote so calling it now seems pretty um, you know pretty early on to Exactly. To, 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 to make a call, especially because after Iowa, people were saying Biden's done, you know, when he finished in fourth place. The you know, the so many campaigns have had their, you know, seemingly seen their death now and then yet come back. And right now, you know, it's only Bernie and, and Biden. But, you know, that's the the fortunes can change very quickly. The, stand, the standard line of Biden was he the definitive statement on his campaign would emerge from South Carolina. Uh, by the way, a, a tangent within a tangent, what an insane process we have of not, you know, Miles, you and I, you've been, every Thursday you come to the show and we've been talking about this campaign since the summer. Yeah. Uh, and I, just the build up, the focus, the intense focus on Iowa, this predominantly white small state in the middle of the country that bears no resemblance to many of the Democratic, uh, the electorate bears no resemblance to many of the Democratic voters, then shift to New Hampshire, which is, you can make the same argument there. And then all of a sudden it's like, then you go to South Carolina, finally black people get to vote, okay? Mm -hmm. So, and then, what is it, 14 states? It's an insane way to do a, you know what I mean? We go with these shifts. You're right. There's these volatile shifts. Everybody's focused on Iowa. What's the impact? And then it's complete. Remember the Iowa debacle? We talked about it. They couldn't count the votes. They could. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's completely forgotten now. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just. Well, that's why an I would just. Way to, uh, I completely agree with that, and I think there needs to definitely be some uh, reform in terms of how the primaries are run. Um, if, I mean, after the Iowa caucus, it's hard to imagine that that's going to continue to be the way the first contest to uh, determine the nominee after we, st- you know, still kind of are having cont- uh, contested uh, vote counts coming in from Iowa. But, you know, that that's the reason I caution people before making, you know, pure predictions about what is going to happen. I think you're right in terms of like the favorability of Biden getting being the nominee right now is high and it's way higher than it was before. Tuesday, and in terms of the betting markets, yeah, like if you were ever going to take out money on Bernie being the nominee, now's the time to do it because it's cheap as hell. You know? The odds are high. It's like the Bulls. Yeah. I think it's five hundred to one in Vegas now. Bulls making the playoffs. I don't know what the comparison is, but go. Continue. So, so anyway, so I think that that's you know, it's just to say, on Tuesday there's going to be a whole other group of states uh, that are going to be voting, including. Uh, Michigan, which, you know, we saw last, I don't know what will happen, but we saw in 2016 in all the polls, Bernie was down by over 20 points. He came out and won that against Hillary Clinton in uh, 2016. Then on March 17th, Illinois votes along with tons of other states. We're going to, Bernie's coming to Chicago. He's doing a big rally in Grant Park on Saturday, the Saturday afternoon. Mm. Um, Clearly that's, it's going to become a way more important state. We can see with, you know, Mayor Lightfoot potentially getting on board with Biden, the clash between kind of the progressive and the centrist wings of the party are going to be on full display um, in Illinois. But I think that, you know, we'll see what happens. And it's really, as I was saying before, it's just, you know, it is premature. It's to to, to say we know which way the, the race is going to go at this point. But for uh, supporters of Bernie Sanders, I mean, you should just remember Joe Biden is an incredibly weak candidate in terms of uh, his record. That's, you know, I don't, besides anything, you know, people focus on mental health issues, all these things. I think the the big uh, issue we should be talking about is, you know, he fought to cut Social Security, fought to cut Medicare. He worked with Republicans on, uh, you know, uh, building the mass incarceration system that we're dealing with now. He w- helped to lead the march to the Iraq war. I mean, these are all issues where he's way out of step with the Democratic electorate right now. And there are areas that Bernie Sanders has been much more in line and been a champion and led and helped to, you know, bring the party to where it is now, where, you know, the um, 
status quo in terms of the party is more focused on expanding Social Security and ending these forever wars and expanding health care to everyone. I mean, these are the things that Bernie Sanders has been fighting for his whole life. And if you look at the exit polls from some of, the, some of these states, it's overwhelming support for Medicare for all. You know, and this is the real, this is the top issue for Democrats is health care. And still, Bernie Sanders is far more trusted. Uh, than than Joe Biden is in terms of being the best candidate on that issue. The problem is that, you know, in terms of this free media, we have this media ecosystem which benefits the candidates that are able to better represent the current status quo in terms of, you know, the relationship to corporate power in our politics. And the best way to see that is by looking at what happened with the stocks for all these healthcare companies that shot up right after yeah. Joe Biden won in <laughs> yeah. South Carolina and again yeah. on Super Tuesday. And they had previously tumbled. Uh, after Bernie Sanders' primary victories, I mean, this is actual like economic interests at play, and mm-hmm. I think that that is the, the and these are the same corporate interests that are donating to the DNC, donating to the DCCC, donating all these top candidates. So it's direct relationship between the establishment. It's not just that they think, oh, Bernie's, you know, he he's not going to be our best leader or something, or that he can't beat Trump. We know that Bernie beats Trump in all of these polls. If you look at the evidence uh, that we have. Bernie Sanders, there's an article about this in the New York Times the other day. Bernie Sanders would, of course, beat Donald Trump as it stands now in the popular vote and in the electoral college vote. And in terms of, you know, people being scared off by his democratic socialist label, he's more well-liked than anybody in the uh, in the field, certainly more than Joe Biden. So I don't think the concerns of the establishment are actually about being worried Bernie's not going to win. It's about what Bernie would do when he's in office, which is threaten the interests of the people right now that are pulling the strings when it comes to our economy. You've given me a lot of things to follow up, and I've been writing notes on these things. Uh, but let me just remind you of uh, something our, our mutual friend uh, uh, Micah always talks about, and then the movement's bigger than Bernie. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not saying this to write off Bernie. I'm yeah. just saying the reality is, uh, if Bernie is not the nominee, it's incumbent upon lefties like me and you uh, to keep the pressure on Joe Biden. Because my attitude about Joe Biden is probably a little different than yours. I view Joe Biden as your typical Democratic Powell uh, of the Clintonian variety who's constantly looking which way the wind is blowing and adjusting his sails appropriately. And as I think Bernie has more bedrock principles that he pays allegiance to. And I think a lot of people respect that of Bernie. Uh, And so, but I, if you push Biden left, if you force Biden to go left, he will go left. And I've seen that even in the rhetoric since this campaign. So I I, I think it's really important uh, that people not personify the movement too much. This is Micah's theme whenever he comes on the show. Don't, yes, Bernie's extremely important and God bless Bernie for taking these stands, but it's got to be a bigger than Bernie. Do you follow what I'm saying? It, yeah. These issues have got to be championed even if this campaign doesn't work out. That's kind of how I view it. Well, of course. I mean, I, without getting too defeatist, I think, of course, if Bernie Sanders is not the nominee, mm-hmm. that the movement that he has built will persist for years to come, many years to come. I mean, look at the young crew of legislators that is behind him. You know, you have Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, AOC. These are like the future of the faces of the party that are going to be. And if you look at, you know, what happened in a lot of these states, it's like 70 percent of, of, of uh, you know, young voters and uh, young voters of color going for Bernie Sanders. The problem is the older voters are not, so it's not, you know... uh equaling out to give him a huge leg up, but it does show that the younger generation is, you know, on board with the political revolution and the things that Bernie Sanders is talking about. And that's going to be the case, whether he's the nominee or he's not the, you know, I do think at this point it's incumbent on people though, that want to win power in American politics to fight for it and make sure that, you know, the things that they believe in are represented by their candidate and not simply focus on, you know, pushing somebody left partially because a primary campaign is, you know, among the democratic electorate, it's far different. we saw this in 2016 when you saw Hillary Clinton 
and moderate as soon as she got into the general election. She stopped talking about you know, <laughs> yeah. completely. Yeah. It's hard for me to imagine Joe Biden not doing that. And the other thing that really worries me about um, Joe Biden, not to you know focus too much on this, but he talks frequently about bipartisanship and how he thinks that you know the scales will fall from their eyes once Trump's not president. All these Republican leaders, they're going to see the light of day. And people might think that that's naive, and I think to some extent it is, but it depends on what you mean when you talk about bipartisanship. And if you look at Joe Biden's record, when he has been bipartisan, such as when he was vice president under Obama and he was in charge of, you know, shepherding through this grand bargain, he worked with Paul Ryan to provide, you know, cuts to Social Security through this chained CPI plan to reduce benefits, to raising the retirement age, all these issues. That's the kind of bipartisanship we can expect yeah. under Joe Biden. And I think he would get that done. You know, he would cut a deal with Mitch McConnell on these things that I don't think Democrats would be very happy about. Yeah. I don't think that that's what the people, you know, who are going to be voting in these primaries want to see. And he's not saying that now, but he is kind of giving a wink and a nod when he says, he, I'm going to be bipartisan. I, I'm with you. And by the way, I think bipartisanship, you gave one example where there was quote unquote bipartisanship. Paul Ryan's long since gone. There's nobody counseling bipartisanship on the Republican side. Let's just point that out. Bipartisanship is such an illusion. I, whenever he says, bi I'm with you. Whenever he says bipartisanship, I just roll my eyes. I can't believe it. That's sucker's talk from Democrats who, who are chasing a dream that do is, doesn't exist. And I don't even want it to exist yeah. to a certain. <laughs> but the, the classic case, I'll say it over and over again. Obamacare. They took Mitt Romney's plan. They kicked all the lefties out of the room when they cut the deal. There was nobody resembling Miles Conflassen in the White House when they constructed Obamacare. They made sure the insurance company was still there and the Republicans still didn't vote for it. No, so that's your bipartisanship. Exactly. I mean, what they did is they held it hostage and then Joe Lieberman got the public option killed. And, and now they're fighting to repeal the whole thing. God, it's funny you should say Joe Lieberman. This is a tangent within a tangent. But I was thinking about this the other day. I was walking, thinking about how my entire lifetime, I might share this with you as you're my therapist, <laughs> my entire lifetime, I've been like, told move right move center that's how you win al gore 2000 <laughs> he put joe lieberman on the ticket the notion was you were still in high school you probably don't remember this joe lieberman will help win florida jewish voters are going to go for joe lieberman he's going to help win we in the end the republicans stole florida yeah <laughs> And well, it was like, he didn't help at all. Well, and also there was the whole Elian Gonzalez uh, uh, issue that I think really did sink Clinton in terms of, or did sink Gore because of how Clinton operated throughout that whole scandal. I think that had huge effect in the Cuban-American uh, community on, yeah. you know, on Democratic votes. But anyway, not to go too deeply down into the 2000 race. But I agree. I mean, I think that that's, and Joe Biden has said he's open to a Republican vice president. Yeah, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. In fact, I think if I had to put money in Vegas which I don't do anymore because I'm a reformed gambler, Miles. I don't gamble anymore. Uh, but if I had to put money, if I went back to those old days, i put money on a lefty. I would put money on uh, Joe Biden taking a left uh, candidate to try to bring the party together some way. And here, okay, here's the question I had to ask you. Yeah. The, when, in the aftermath of Tuesday's elections, I came away seeing Bernie's, this, I mean, this is such an obvious point, limitations. Um, number one, for the longest time, Bernie is saying we're going to bring new voters uh, into the polls, and that's going to uh, increase the voter base, and that's going to be, I'm going to ride that to victory. It hasn't happened yet. It's been one of my biggest disappointments so far. I haven't seen that expansion of the electorate that the Democrats need, that the Democrats need needed in 2016, and they could use in every single Senate race. I haven't seen that happen. And number two, uh, his inability to get a, a majority of black voters. Uh, and I know there's a generational difference. I know younger black voters are more likely to vote for Bernie than older black voters, but when you put it out, it's like Alabama, you know, 70% of in exit polls uh, went for uh, Biden. So those two points, could you address them? Well, I mean, those are, those are two very big uh, issues that the campaign is going to have to overcome. I will say in terms of the kind of theory of change, um, that has always presumed 
that Bernie will be the nominee and that, you know, the general election is when you will actually see this flood of new voters come in because these are the people that have been, you know, kept out of the system. So many of these are, you know, closed primaries. People have to register as Democrats. A primary electorate is so different from a general election. Not only is it much smaller, but it's usually people that are much more engaged. You know, people are traditionally voting for the Democratic Party, which is, you know, not a great... (laughs) Uh, you know, subset of people for Bernie Sanders who's been railing against the Democratic establishment for for years and years. Um, but it's also the case that the almost everybody who voted in these primaries is going to vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is, you know, except for those younger people that are not traditionally engaged. And there have been some, especially in Iowa, New Hampshire, and, uh, Nevada, you saw this, you know, younger people uh, come into the uh, the polls and those, those numbers increase. But the older voters that are voting for Joe Biden right now, they're going to vote if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, almost assuredly. I mean, there's no reason to think that they, you know, would be upset about that. Bernie's incredibly well-liked. So on that point, I would say, I mean, it's partially, you can't really, it's hard to test that because it was always been premised on getting to a general election and bringing out people when it's, you know, Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump, bringing new people into the process. So looking at the primary, it's more difficult, but I agree with you. I mean, that's certainly something that the campaign has to work through because it's going to, it's a huge challenge when you have, you know, the most dedicated voting base going with another uh, candidate. And the same is true, I think, for African-American voters. I think that, you know, that's one area where there's been ground made up in in a lot of ways since the 2016 race. But Joe Biden was a vice president of Barack Obama. He's in, you know, every Obama's in all of Joe Biden's ads. He's constantly hammering that home. He's got, you know, people like Jim Clyburn, who, you know, most respected um, public officials, certainly in South Carolina and much of the South in terms of the Democratic Party, uh, talking about how, you know, great and trusted Joe Biden is and how he's the candidate to beat Trump. So that's very difficult if you're somebody in Bernie Sanders' position. You don't have that type of institutional backing. Um, and that was always going to be an issue in this campaign. I mean, it's not as if establishment politicians were suddenly going to rush to get behind um, Bernie Sanders. So I think that that's going to be an, another test. What I would say is a lot of these states, you know, where you've seen that in Alabama and such, a Democrat's not going to win that in 20 that state in 2020, no. you know, anyway. So it's really going to be more of a test in, I think, states like Michigan and Illinois, where, you know, these are traditional, um, you know, Democratic states or even swing states rather than um, rather than deep red ones and areas, honestly, where there's more unionization rates, because that's I think it has a huge impact on how people kind of view politics and get you know, influenced in terms of the the direction that they're willing to go and how progressive of a candidate they want to get behind. All right. Speaking of unions, Ed Maher is in the uh, studio. We're going to bring him on next. Union man, Ed Maher. Uh, before I let you go, after Ed Maher is in here, Kim Fox is going to be oh, here. Yeah. What question do you want me to ask Kim Fox? Um, how how are we going to get rid of this Conway? You know, As, uh, uh, I would say. I mean, one thing that is, uh, I I haven't covered the Kim Fox race, but I was telling you on the phone this earlier four years ago. I did cover the some of the the Buy Anita campaign, which mm-hmm. was you know uh, spearheaded by Asada's daughters and BYP one hundred, a lot of these 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 groups of black youth in the city. Um, at that point, you know, I think that there was a little bit more caution around even in being involved in electoral politics. So. A lot of these activists were much more comfortable just being saying, you know, hey, don't vote for this person because, you know, she oversaw this Laquan McDonald scandal, Mm -hmm. uh, so on and so forth. Now they have a, you know, new campaign called Cancel Conway. And we've seen what, you know, Bill Conway has done. He has his whole, you know, thing is he's doing hashtag fox hunt, this very, you know, crazy kind of racist uh, approach to, you know, going after Kim Fox and just, you know, hitting her again and again over Jesse Smollett. Well, you know, some of these activists that are involved in that now, are being much more explicit saying we need to reelect Kim Fox. It's not just about not getting Bill Conway in there. We need to reelect the person who is, you know, lowering incarceration rates and removing, you know, uh, cash bail and making all these efforts to reform uh, the criminal justice system. So I guess I'd ask her about that, what she sees as her relationship to uh, movement organizing and uh, movements on the ground, because what's interesting about Kim Fox is she didn't come out of that movement background the way a lot of these other candidates did. You know, Mm -hmm. she had more of kind of an institutional uh came way Tony in. Preckwinkle. Well, exactly. Yeah, she that, learned her she learned her politics from TP. That's the president that's, of the that's Cook true. County. But that said, I mean, she's been such an effective uh, state's attorney, I think, in so many ways in terms of getting some of these uh, things done. That it seems obvious that she would, mm-hmm. you know, build on some of that movement energy that's uh, that's around. I also want to say, getting back to one of the first things we we talked about.
about about you know how great of a campaign Elizabeth Warren ran. This is you know now is a time. I don't know if Elizabeth Warren is going to endorse in this race. I don't know if she'll endorse Bernie Sanders, but I think there's a real opportunity. You know she has a mass base of support, and those people you know are going to have to search for a new candidate right now. And you know things laying as they are. If think if you believe in the um, agenda that Elizabeth Warren was running on, the values that she cares about, and the type of campaign that she ran, it's very clear that the you know the the campaign of Bernie Sanders, which has always been about not me us, about you know fighting for human solidarity, fighting for people you don't know, that is you know the obvious place to 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 join. So I would just make an appeal, you know, for people that are um, now understandably feeling a little upset and grieving that you know there's an opportunity to continue that fight uh so you know just a little shout out all right miles thank you very much every thursday uh on our show miles conflossing from in these times and maher on deck we're gonna Tell people where they can find you online, Miles. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, find me. Well, I have an article up right now on the homepage in these times. Um, search for that. It'll be in the next print issue of the magazine, too. So if you uh, feel like subscribing, uh, get a monthly issue to uh, monthly subscription to in these times. You can also uh, find me on Twitter at, at Miles K. Lassen. That's M-I-L-E-S-K-L-A-S-S-I-N. Also, I'm going to be at the Chicago Bulls game tomorrow night against the Indiana Pacers. I hope to get there early enough to get a Benny bobblehead. That is my one goal. Benny the Bull, not no, Ben yeah. Jaroski. <laughs> uh, oh, my God, a Ben Jaroski bobblehead. <laughs> Where's my bull's hat? All right, Miles, Edmar on deck. We're going to bring him on when we come back. <laughs> Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Feelings are bringing me down 
right. Shout out to our good friends, The Curls. Go check The Curls out anytime. They're a great band. Always playing live. Mick Fansler, what's going on? 